17, 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 15, as we're going through the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 15. Let's pray together. Father, we, as we open up your word, God, we ask that you would teach us and that you would instruct us. As we look at the, the fall of Absalom and his pride, that you would search our hearts, that you would know us. Lord, I pray for every broken relationship between father and son, mom and daughter, parent and child, that you would comfort, that you would bring healing. We want to grow closer to you, and we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, we're going to look at the downfall of Absalom. We've entitled this series of First and Second Samuel as Kings and Sons, because it's a story of kings and sons. So David's the king, his son Absalom. At this point in the journey, Absalom is committing treason against his dad. He's attempting to kill his dad. David is on the run for his life. There's two men that are giving counsel to Absalom, Ahithophel, who is David's former counselor, who wants to do David in, and then Hushai, who is the planted secret service agent on the behalf of David. He wants to stir things away from Ahithophel's counsel. If you remember from last week in verse 14, it said that Hushai was the one that was listened to because God intended destruction, disaster upon Absalom. Ultimately, God's in control. So we're going to go through chapter 17 and then into chapter 18 and look at the downfall of Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus also I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over lest the king and all the people who are with him will be swallowed up. We got to get word to David. We got to tell him, don't stop. Don't camp overnight in the wilderness, but cross over the Jordan River. Now we see the mechanism, the means that they get information to David. Now Jonathan and Ahimez stayed in in Rogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. These two men are planted to hear the news from the young woman and then take it to David. Nevertheless, as a lad saw them and told Absalom, both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baruhim, who had a well in his court. And they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread, uh, and spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known." Does this remind you of another woman in Scripture? Rahab, as she hid the spies, as she put them, the straw over them on her roof. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where is Ahimez and Jonathan? So the woman said, they've gone over the water brook. And when they searched and couldn't find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So because she hid them, they couldn't find them, and they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David, and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. Ahithophel has advised Absalom to come and to kill you. You need to run, and you need to run now. 
So David and all of the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. But morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and he hanged himself and died and was buried in his father's tomb. Why did Ahithophel have a change of mind when it came to David? There's a few pieces that we can put uh, together. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 34, it tells us that Ahithophel's son was Eliam, E-L-I-A-M. And then in 2 Samuel 11, verse 3, it tells us that Eliam's daughter was Bathsheba. So Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Do you think he was pretty upset by the course of events that took place with the adultery and the murder of his son-in-law? Yes. I don't think he ever dealt with it. I don't think he ever got over it, and that bitterness was dealing in his heart and his mind, and it was very easy for him to now have this opportunity to go with Absalom to try to destroy David. His advice isn't followed. He knows in his heart and mind David is going to stay on the throne. He's going to be known as a traitor, which will probably end his life, So he chooses to end his life. He hangs himself. He commits suicide. As you know, suicide's an issue in our community. Our hearts are broken because two weeks ago, three high school students committed suicide. Two from Discovery Canyon, one from another high school in town. As Gazette reported on this and, and told us, a total of 14 El Paso County youth up to 17 committed suicide in 2015. And then in 2014, there was seven. So it went from seven to now 14 in 2015. And then in 2016, the number's already up to eight. We're talking about our young people in our city. The article went on to say that our numbers are much higher than cities our size. The, the suicide in our city for young people is, is at a higher rate than for, for Denver. I mean, something's happening in El Caso County when young people are committing suicide at this rate. It's not just an issue for young people as well. Ahithophel thinks there's no other option. He's doomed. David's going to kill him. But what do we know about David? He's merciful. What did he do with Cushai the week before? Ahithophel has the wrong information. He's looked at his life. He's looked at his situation. He's looked at his own actions. He says, there's no way out. I'm going to hang myself. I believe that suicide is the ultimate work of Satan. Satan has told us his mission. Well, Jesus told us the mission of Satan. That he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Loves to plant those lies that there's no hope. It'd be better off if you just took your life. I can tell you from personal experience of of doing several funerals of people that have committed suicide, it's not better for the loved ones that you leave behind. That's the lie that you want to believe, that, that I'm such a, a mess, and all I do is hurt those that I love. They're going to be better off without me. They're never better off without you. Don't believe the lies of Satan. What looks dark and what looks gloom is God has a future and a hope for you. And if you are wrestling through suicide tonight, first I hope that you know that God loves you. And Jesus hung upon the cross so you don't have to hang yourself. And I know that that's very straightforward. 
And that's very blunt, but think about it. He hung upon the cross so that we could have a future and a hope. And we look at the cross of Jesus Christ in those times of difficulty, and we hold on to him, our cornerstone, amen? So know that he loves you. Hang in there because he hung on the cross for you. Reach out to Christ. Reach out to those that love you. Reach out to your church family. We're your church family. Come talk to a pastor at the end of this service. Say, this is where I'm at. A lot of times they think people don't want to admit that they're wrestling with thoughts of suicide. So they keep it to themselves. And it's a perfect playground for Satan. He just continues to cause those lies and it's a downward spiral. A lot of times there's freedom in being able to speak and to share. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. So we'd love to minister to you. We'd love to rally around you. Our pastors are on call. We go on call one month out of, out of the year so that if the church office's call is closed and you call, you're going to get the answering machine. I know that that's weird. There's still answering machines out there. But we have one here at the church and says, if this is a life or death emergency, here's a pastor's name and phone number. Now, please use that respectfully. If your dog died, I'm sorry. That is a, that is a big deal. But those are not the life and death emergencies that we're talking about. I, can rem- well, I won't go into stories, but I'll save that for another time. Uh, but if you're at that place where you're thinking about taking your life, that, that's a life and death emergency. You don't have anybody to call, call the church office. It's sad to see Ahithophel go this direction. It, it's sad to see what's happening in our community. In verse 24, then David went to Mahanaim and crossed over the Jordan. He and all of the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Ahimez captain of the army instead of Joab. So that means Joab's in the running. Joab had been the commander of David, but Absalom doesn't choose Joab. He chooses Ahimez. Ahimez was the son of a man whose name was Jethara, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, the sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now when it happened that David had come to Mahanaim, that Sobai, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, Makar, the son of Emil from Lodibar, Barzili, the Gileite from Rogalim, brought beds, basin, earthen vessels, and wheat, barley, and flour, parched grain, and beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary in the wilderness. God is good at bringing provision from sources that we can't see. And these three kings, these tribal leaders that were under tribute to David, that paid money to David, they respected David. And now in David's hour of need, they bring this great spoil to him. This great supply to him and God provides for him. For all of eternity, their kindness is recorded. You see someone weary in the wilderness and you reach out to him with the love of Christ, bring provision, God takes notice and he records it. Chapter 18, verse one. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains over thousands and captives over hundreds over them. David's still a strong military leader. He still has the ability in the midst of crisis to rally the troops, to delegate, to give captains. He musters the men. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab. 
one third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, who is the brother of Joab. Joab's brother, and one third to the hand of Etai the Gittite. Chapter 15, we were induced to Etai. He said, David, I want to walk with you. I just want to walk with you in this time of difficulty. And now he's honored to be over a third of the men. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, you shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. Please, David, stay back. Don't, don't go with us out to battle. And the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. It's a difficult place for David to be. He is a warrior. And now he's watching his men go out to battle. He's not going with them to fight who? To fight his son, who is trying to kill him. In verse 5, Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Etai, saying, Deal gently for my sake, with the young man Absalom. And all of the people heard when the king gave all of the captains orders concerning Absalom. Once a dad, always a dad. He says, you know what? Take it easy on my son. Deal gently on Absalom. Even though Absalom had killed one of David's sons, had betrayed him, had committed treason, wants to kill David, he's still a dad. He still remembers the day that Absalom was born and loves him and can't imagine Absalom being killed. And he says, guys, I want you to take it easy on him. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. 20,000 died. As it refers to Israel, it's talking about the Israelites who were with Absalom. 20,000 total casualties on both sides. This is civil war. What's interesting to me and what really stood out to me as I was reading this, you know, sometimes when you're reading things devotionally, things don't stand out to you. And then when you slow down and study it more in depth, I, I didn't remember or had never caught that 20,000 died because of this. So we've got a family problem. We've got a family issue. Can we say dysfunctional family? <laughs> we've got a dysfunctional family right here. David had sinned, set some things in motion. Absalom chooses to sin. It's a mess. And 20,000 innocent people die because of this situation. Family is powerful. Family has influence. Some have said that family is the very core to a society. That once a family erodes, that there's no longer a family structure inside of a country, it's only a matter of time before that society cannot continue. There's great power for influence, both in the positive and the negative. But we know it, and we know it from personal experience. When there's great sin and great selfishness, and a family begins to implode, there's a lot of innocent people that are affected. There's a lot of innocent people that are hurt be because of that. In verse 8, for the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, 
And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. So they're fighting, they're running, and having these accidents that resulted in the loss of their life, even more so than from the sword. In verse 9, then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. He rode on a mule. What happened to his chariot? What happened to all of his stallions and the 50 men that ran, ran in front of him? Now he's on a mule. That's not very impressive, is it? The mule went under thick bows of great terabith tree, and his head caught in the terabith so that he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Remember the description of Absalom? He loved his hair. He'd only cut it once a year. That's how much he loved it. Then he would weigh it, you know? You've got to have long hair to get caught in the thicket. You, know, you couldn't get my hair caught in the thicket. You know, you, high and tight, you, you're, you're good to go, right? But Absalom's got this long hair that he's proud of, and it's caught up in the thicket. This is a great example as we're looking at the downfall of Absalom. Pride will hang you up. It really will. It will hang you up. The scripture tells us that a haughty spirit comes before a fall and pride comes before destruction. So if we get into this place where it seems like Absalom's getting away with it. Prior to this, it seems like he's effective at stealing people's hearts to himself, at betraying his dad. He could write a book on how to win friends and gain influence, right? But God sees and God knows and God's hand is upon this and says, I'm gonna humble this guy. He's gonna get caught up by his hair. And he's going to hang there, and he's going to be completely powerless. In verse 10, now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I saw Absalom hanging in a terabith tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. Ooh, (laughs) 10 shekels of silver and a belt. That would make it worth it, you know. Is it a leather belt? (laughs) But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand and two belts, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Absalom, and Abishai, excuse me, and Etai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. This is a man of character. We don't know his name. He's a man of honor. He's a man of sound judgment. He said, the king said, deal gently with Absalom. So I don't have to interpret that. I don't have to put my own feelings into that. All I know is this is what the king said. I'm going to honor what the king says. If I don't do that, it's going to bring fault onto me. Even you, Joab, if I came to you and said, oh, I just killed Absalom, you'd have no choice but to get on my case for it because of David's instruction. In verse 14, then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. He says, I can't have this conversation. Are are we doing this right now? I, I can't stay and have this conversation. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the cherubith tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and 
killed him. Joab goes rogue. Joab decides he's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to take things into his own hands. David's not seeing things clearly with his own son. His judgment is skewed, so now Absalom, Joab's going to go and kill Absalom. How did Joab become the general for David? Was it based off of character or ability? Do you remember? It was based off ability. David said the first one into Jerusalem, this walled city, the first one to take Jerusalem will be the general. Seemed like a good decision. Somebody that has the guts to be able to do that, the ability to be able to do that. But David didn't say, I want a man of ability and character. And it costs David in the long run. Because Joab begins to make decisions that aren't wise, that, that aren't godly. And now Joab kills his, his own son. Consider how Absalom gained power and influence. Remember from last week, it said he stole people's hearts. He would stand at the gate and he'd say, oh, really? Nobody has time to hear your case? Well, if I were king and he stole the hearts of Israel, now where is he killed? Right in the heart. See, God's dealing with Absalom. God's showing us you you walk in pride, it's going to hang you up. If you manipulate, if you go through life committing treason against those that you should be loyal to, it's going to catch up with you. You steal people's heart, ultimately you're going to lose your heart in, in the long run. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people. So they no longer continue to attack those who are with Absalom. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit into the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all of Israel fled, everyone to his tent. So prideful and so arrogant, but yet in his death, he's in a pit. Just thrown into a pit with stones placed over him. A rebellious spirit will always lead to a pit. It always will. It's a big deal to God. If you study the scriptures, God says that he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. How does that work out practically? We're prideful if we can't listen to authority, if we can't submit to authority. We're humble if we can accept the authority that God has placed in our lives. If you look inside of your heart, if I look inside of my heart tonight and I find a rebellious spirit, it's ultimately a rebellious spirit unto God because God's the one who set up the system. God's the one who set up the authority and it's always going to lead to the pits in my life. It's always going to lead to that. Young people, high school students, college students, learn the lesson of submission. Learn the lesson of respect. I don't agree with their decisions, but they're not asking me to do something that's unbiblical, that's not moral, that's going against God's word. So I'm going to honor them. I'm going to learn how to come underneath their authority. And in doing that, you're coming underneath God's blessing. You're humbling yourself underneath the mighty hand of God and he can can lift you up. David's going to hear of this news of of his son. This is how the news will travel to him in, in just a moment. Verse 18, it says, Then Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it is called Absalom's monument. 2 Samuel 14, 27 tells us Absalom had three sons. But here he says, I have no sons. So I had to build a monument to myself. 
we have some of the dumbest reasons on the planet to build monuments to ourselves. We go, well, well no one's going to remember me because I don't have sons. But in reality, you do have sons. And our flesh is deceptive. We want to be remembered. We want to be lifted up. What was Christ's monument, if you would? It was service. He laid his life down. He washed the disciples' feet. He considered others better than himself. He said, this is the example that I have left to you. This is my joy. My joy will be fulfilled in you as you walk in this life of service. There's something inside of us that wants to build a monument, isn't there? And it's almost now to like Absalom's shame. The scripture tells us that the monument was still there. And then people would pack a picnic lunch and they'd go up to Absalom's monument and go, that fool, he's a fool, you know? He tried to commit treason against his own dad. Hey, sons, don't be like Absalom. That's the reality of what happens if we try to build a monument to ourselves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people don't remember us at all and they only remember the name of Jesus? That our life submitted to Jesus and the power of the Spirit to where people know Jesus and they're not concerned with us at all. Verse 19, Then Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me now run and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. Ahimehaz is associated with good news. So Joab knows you can't take the news today because Absalom is dead. So he's going to send someone else. Then Joab said to the Cushite, which is an Ethiopian, go tell the king what you've seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, why will you run, my son, since you do not, since you have no news ready? Ahimehaz is zealous. He's excited. And he can't take no for an answer. He's already been told no by Joab with a reason. And he's like, no, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. Please, let me go. It's almost like your dog when you're playing fetch with your dog. The dog sees the tennis ball or sees the stick and is like, let me go. Let, let me go. Can we accept no in our life? Sometimes we're even excited for the right things. God, I want to go. God, I want to share. God, I want to tell. And God says, well, right now isn't the time. He closes the door. He tells us no. It's difficult to accept no. And Ahimehaz doesn't. He would have better off if he would have. But whatever happens, he said, let me run. So he said to him, run. Then Ahimehaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. He's so zealous that he outruns the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate, to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, if he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. If a bunch of men are running, that's a sign that they had lost the battle. But one man running towards him was a sign that there was news. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there's another man running. And the king said, he also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. 
And the king said, he's a good man, and he comes with good news. That's why Joab didn't send him. So Ahimehaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the king. We were victorious. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimehaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know what it was about. He doesn't know the most important news to David, and that's what's happened to my son, what's happened to Absalom. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So now he just puts Ahimehaz aside. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, there is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is this young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. It's a very polite way of saying your son is dead. Can we learn something from Ahimehaz? It's very important to have zeal with knowledge. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous, isn't it? I could be really pumped up to do some work on my car, get all excited. Yeah, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to save myself some money, do my own brakes, fill in the blank. But I don't have the knowledge. So if I don't have the knowledge to get the job done, it's going to be an absolute train wreck, isn't it? That's why YouTube videos are the best when it comes to home projects, isn't it? I mean, they had to put a lot of handymen out of business. Like, the other day I looked up one on like how to clean out my dishwasher. It's like, yeah, I know that's how stupid I am when it comes to those projects, but it really helped and it was really, really a blessing. If you get to that place, you've got zeal and you don't have knowledge, the zeal's not going to be enough. It's not going to carry you through. But also, it's equally dangerous to have the knowledge, but not to have the zeal. Maybe when we were new in the Lord, we had all the zeal in the world. We're ready to tell people about Jesus. Go anywhere, do anything. And then over time, we learn more knowledge. We know the scriptures. We know about the book of Romans. We know the gospels. We've read through the Bible. We've got this knowledge but we've lost the zeal. Wouldn't it be something special to be able to hang on to that fresh love that we had for that Lord, the fresh zeal with the knowledge that you currently do have? And to say, Lord, allow that knowledge to meet up with, with the zeal. In this, with Ahimehaz, what knowledge did he really lack? The knowledge about the Son. From God's perspective, what's the important knowledge for us to have? It's about God's son, Jesus Christ. To know Jesus, not just to know about him, but to walk with him, to allow him to form our lives, to understand the gospel. Paul told us this when he came to the city of Corinth, that he was determined to know one thing among them, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul knew one thing really well, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the power in the cross, the power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's not that you have to be an expert on everything before you can go out and tell people about Jesus. Remember the man who was blind, that was healed by Christ. He says, this one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. You've been saved, you have a testimony, you can go and share that. But there is something here for us to learn, that there's something valuable about preparation. Don't despise the days of small things. Don't undermine the time to sit at God's feet. All of the great men in scripture who were used by the Lord, God had a time where he said, I'm gonna set you aside alone with some sheep in the field. Paul, I'm gonna take you out into the wilderness for three years where you're gonna learn of me. And maybe you just feel like your life's on hold and God's never gonna use you. He's developing your message. He's developing your message about his son, Jesus Christ. And you wanna know that and you wanna know that well to be able to share it. So I think there's a good lesson there with Ahimehaz. In verse 33, we end the chapter. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. Those are powerful words. Even though Absalom had done all of this harm to David, he says, right now, in this moment, I would have died instead of you. You could have the throne. You could have it all. I've had a blessed life. I've had a full life. I would die in this moment. Let's contemplate this verse for a few moments because I think we see several things. And we really do understand the heart of a father, the heart of a mother, a heart of a parent. Your child can mess up, your child can hurt you, your, your child can do all of these things against you, but deep down in our hearts, what do we want for them? For them to know the Lord and to do okay in life. And even if they've done all these things and they're in adulthood, in your heart of heart, you're saying, you know what, I just want you to know Jesus. And I just want you to get through life okay. It's what God has placed inside of us as the heart of of parents, and David shows that. And in a small way, I think it reflects the big heart of God, the big heart of our Heavenly Father. How do you think God feels when he has to pour out judgment? There's a lot of judgment in the scripture, but what's the tone of God's judgment? The scriptures tell us he doesn't desire, he doesn't will that any would perish. So I think it's the same heart that David has when God has to pour out judgment. He says, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, all you had to do was turn to me. All you had to do is receive the free gift and trust, but you never would. You never would. You never did. And that broken heart of God. Maybe you're in that place tonight where you're trying to decide if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to commit your life to Christ and receive that free gift. I've got to tell you, there's a great cost on your decision whether to receive or reject Christ. It determines whether you go to heaven or hell. It determines whether you're in relationship with God or outside of a relationship with God. But if you choose to reject God over the course of a lifetime, God will send you to hell based on your choice, but he's going to do it with a broken heart. He's going to do it with tears running down his face. Remember Jesus as he looked onto Jerusalem 
and knew the destruction that was coming, the judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem, and he wept. And the words of Jesus was, I wanted to gather you the way a mother hen gathers her chicks. You don't hear dudes talking like that. You know, guys, one of you said, you know, I'm kind of like a, a hen, and I just want to gather you close to my heart. You know? <laughs> but Jesus is in that place where he's secure in his manhood, and it was probably one of the most manly things that he ever said. And it's expressing this exact same heart, isn't it? Jerusalem, you wouldn't have anything to do with me. You didn't listen to me. You rejected me right here when I was God in the flesh. And so here's this judgment that's going to come upon you. Now I want to speak to one last thing tonight. And it's to the hearts of parents where you have a child that's like Absalom. I don't believe that David is just weeping the death of his son. Yes, he's absolutely weeping that. But he is grieving all of the years of a broken relationship with his son. And now that broken relationship is taken to the grave. There's no opportunity for healing. And some of you know what that feels like. You have a child like Absalom, and that child's gone, and that relationship will never be healed, and you weep. And for some of you, your children are alive. But they've been the prodigal. They once walked with the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord. And they mock you for your faith. They're angry at you. They're spiteful towards you because of the way that you raised them in the Lord. Maybe some of your children have never put their faith in Christ and you've prayed for them and you've shared with them and you did your best to raise them in God's ways and you're ridiculed by other believers. They look over their parenting books, and they go, you know what? If you would have only done this, if you would have only been more present, if you would have just been better at that, then there would have been a different outcome. And you deal with a brokenness that takes place because that relationship's fractured, but you also walk around the church and around other believers with this dark cloud over you because you feel like you're, you're living in shame. I want to end this service, and I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for your children, those Absaloms, the prodigal child, that God would do a great work in their heart, in their life. And, and as we go to prayer, I just want you to raise your hand, and we want to rally around you. We don't want to be a church of guilt and shame. Amen? We don't want to shame other people. We all have our struggles. We all have our shortcomings. And to be able to rally around our brothers and sisters in Christ and identify with their pain for a moment and go, man, they've got a broken relationship with a child. They've got a child that, that is similar to Absalom. They've got a child that doesn't want anything to, to know with the things of God. I know this by personal experience. My parents were great parents. They raised me in God's, God's ways. They shared Christ with me. And for much of my growing up years, I wanted nothing to do with Christ. And it wasn't my parents' fault. It was completely my fault. It was completely my choice and my own, my own hard heart. So let's pray and just invite God to move. Father, we, we thank you that you show us this example in Scripture of your heart and how you're broken for those that don't know you. And we do pray that there would be salvation and people would come to know you, that they would see your heart, that they would want to be in relationship with you. Father, we also want to pray for parents that have a broken relationship with a child that they identify with David and his pain, 